Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. And celebrating and giving gifts, not trying to make sure that you get the best Black Friday deal on the market. And we always see that idea, but here's the, the concept that I'm, I'm thinking about this morning as we're uh, getting ready to explore some text is that there is this way in which darkness is always trying to overpower the light. The darkness has this sense, and all of us have experienced it at different points in our lives, and it feels like darkness is winning the war. It feels like darkness has the last word. When we get a, a negative report, for, say, or we hear words that we don't like, like you're fired, or I want a divorce, or your kid is struggling in school. What do we do? When we have these moments of darkness that seem to shroud out all light, is that even possible? It reminds me about the time I stole Christmas from someone. That's right, your pastor hasn't always been the upstanding citizen that you see before you this morning. But a buddy of mine was working really hard and he had decorated his house to the nines, put Christmas lights everywhere. He was trying to win the neighborhood light contest and had it out like crazy. So he invited us all over so that we could see his house. But what he didn't know is I had snuck around earlier and had taken different bulbs out of different sections of lights. So when he walks, he goes, you got to see this. Wait till it gets dark. So finally it gets dark. The darkness is now uh, uh, there. And he goes, watch this. And so he kicks on the breaker to light up the house. And it looked like it was a mess. There were a couple of lights that were working here, some here, a few in the middle. And I go, bro, that doesn't look anything like what you would hope a house would look like. What's wrong? And he's like, I don't know. It was all working earlier, but it's not working now. And I was like, man, that's a bummer. I said, are you sure? That thing looks terrible. And he's like, man, I don't know what's going on. So he starts exploring around to figure out what's going on. He goes, I see the problem. I'm missing of some bulbs. There's some bulbs missing from here and here and here and this section. And I was like, man. He's like, I wonder, I, maybe when I was installing or maybe they popped loose. I'm not sure. I go, yeah, it's hard to say. And anyway... He, he's just so frustrated about it. We go inside, we have the party, and at the end of the night, as I was saying goodbye, I shook his hand, and I handed him back his light bulbs in my handshake. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. And he starts screaming down the street. I had totally stolen the Christmas joy for him. But that experience is sort of all of ours. But there are times where the light is more prevalent than at others. All of us, if we were to engage or or. or consider our lights, if it was a light string, that there will be times that are marked more by darkness than light. Seasons that are more difficult to walk through than others. And this is pretty difficult to imagine, but all of us have been there before. And what's really interesting is Hosea the prophet talks about this. Now, this isn't your normal Advent reading, but Hosea chapter 8, this is what that scripture says. It says that there, look, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but rather a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. 
People will stagger from sea to sea, from north to east. They will run back and forth searching for a message from the Lord, but they won't find it. Now, you probably have never heard this scripture read at Christmas, but I think it's real important for us. The marker in this text isn't that God isn't speaking, but it says that there would be specifically a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. That there would be a time marked in history that there would seem to be a gap, a famine, and people would stagger about looking for the way to go. And in my pastoral experience, that wasn't just a one-time moment that we will talk about here in just a few moments, but that's an experience that we all have, that sometimes it's easier to know what God has said in the past than to know what God is saying now. And that's really where the struggle is. I sit with people all the time in my office. They ask me, Pastor, I'm looking for God's will for my life. I want to know what, how to manage this broken part of my, my marriage. I want to know how to manage what's going on with my children. I just don't know. I'm confused. I don't know how to get through this. And much of my pastoral work is in that question, the question of darkness. What do we do with the darkness? What does the watchman have to say to us about the darkness? Well, in Amos' account, he says that there will be a day where people are looking for the word of God and staggering about hoping to find it. And who could be more desperate for a word of God than us right now in our current climate? Where the political polarization is so great that we wonder where the truth is even being spoken. We are experiencing uh, disorienting ex and moments in our own lives. We all are trying to navigate the space where we're just not sure. How do we do this? The prophet said that there would be darkness. And there was. Malachi is the last prophetic verse and words that we would hear. And he says... There's going to come a day where the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and then it's like the lights go out. No prophetic utterance. No one's saying anything. Oh, people were talking, but nobody's saying anything. Nobody was saying anything that was functionally valuable. And so for 400 years, there's no record of any scripture. It wasn't that God stopped working. And sure, there's little sparks here. We got uh, what happened during Hanukkah for the Jews. The light and the oil didn't go out. But really, there's no word. There's no direction. And so they do what many of us do when we're not sure what to do. They're just trying to find their own way through the darkness. Jews are starting to adapt to some of the Greek mythology and the gods that are there and trying to synchronize their religion with this other religion sort of to find their way. Some were living more faithful towards God, but trying, but it was hard because it was just dark. And not just dark for a day, but dark for years. Have you ever gone through seasons of life that just feel like they're just dark and you don't know what to do? or how to get through? You don't know how to manage the steps that are in front of you? Have you ever been through seasons like that? I've been through them. It's hard to navigate and to know what to do, and this is where the people of God find themselves. Malachi's words ring hollow, because though they're looking for the sun to rise with healing, healing never comes. Year after year, hope is dwindling, it doesn't seem like there's any new day on the horizon. 
And then we have something that changes all of it. In the Gospel of Luke, there's the story of a man that I believe helps us with how it is that we are to navigate the seasons of darkness because he is right smack dab in the middle of it. He's writing at a time where it had been dark for now 400 years. The lights haven't come on, but there's one man that shows us how it is to live faithful even in seasons like that. His name was Simeon. And I want to read his account to you this morning for our Advent reading. Starting in verse 22 of chapter 2, it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now this is an interesting story to me because Luke, in the beginning of his gospel, first few verses, he says, I've carefully investigated the stories that are being passed around about Jesus. And Theophilus, this person that he's writing to, you can trust that what I am saying to you is true. What's really powerful about this particular story is that it's being said. And what we have is what he records and through the power of the Holy Spirit deems important that we now read his scripture. But it's also important to know that he didn't say other things. That this was the most important parts of Jesus' life through the instruction and the leading of the Holy Spirit that would be recorded. And so lots of other parts of Jesus' story for which John says that the books in all of the world could not contain. That this becomes an important part of the process. That it's not just incidental to the narrative. It's not just a, a, a small piece that sort of makes sense of the whole. There's something powerful and packed into this text. And I believe it's Simeon's life that we need to hear this morning as we talk about Advent and about Christ's coming. Because he, more than any of the other witnesses that we have, teach us how to walk through seasons that are dark. It's he that gives us insight into the nature of God, how it is that God is at work. We don't know much about Simeon because we just get this little snapshot. But in these few verses, these 
11 or 12 verses that I have just read to you, there is something of power, of potency, of transformative grace for you and for me today. And that's what we need. Luke is recording it so Theophilus would believe and so that you would believe and so that I would believe. He teaches us how to navigate through the darkness. As I've already said, it had been dark for a long time, 400 years. And there's something about dark seasons that cause us to lose hope or to lose faith that it's ever going to happen for us. When we have a promise from the Lord and we hear that promise the first time, we get so excited because we know, we just know that God is going to accomplish what it is that God has said. We hear the word, but then sometimes distance and time will disconnect us from what it is that God had originally said. And we start to try to figure it out on our own. God has promised us a spouse, and then the spouse doesn't come. God has promised us a better job, and still we're working for the tyrant of a boss. God has promised us children, and yet we're still barren. God has promised us that we will succeed, but it feels like we are still failing. These parts of our lives that make up the sinew, the essence of who we are, are difficult to navigate, and Simeon teaches us how to find the way through darkness. The first thing we learn from him is that he had this uncanny ability to see beauty and God's grace in the mundane. So what he would say to us this morning is, don't miss the beauty in the mundane. In the mundane experiences of life, and the way that we know that this is true is that when we think about this text, what does he say? That Jesus is being dedicated to the temple, okay? And Luke makes careful note to say this was the custom of all Israelites to bring the firstborn child, and this is usually 40 days after the baby was born, because that's the purification time that it would take to bring the baby and to present it before the Lord, that this was the custom. But this is happening thousands of times in any given week. And in every given month, tens of thousands of times, as babies are being born and they're being presented. But Simeon has this uncanny ability to recognize that something is different about something that feels very mundane. He's seen lots of babies. He's pious. He shows up at the temple. He's a faithful worshiper. And in his comings and goings, he would have seen lots, but he recognizes something different about Jesus. Was it his slick clothes? Nope. Did he come like with a major awesome sacrifice? No, no actually, Luke says that they came with the poor person sacrifice. Two doves or two pigeons that was uh, an accommodation made for poor people because God didn't want anyone excluded from being able to participate in this ritual. But the normal sacrifice was a lamb and the family would bring the lamb. But in this case, because they're poor, they don't have much. And so all they can bring is two birds. It's all they have. And yet Simeon goes, uh-huh, there it is. The ability to see God in the mundane experiences of our lives as we're coming and going to work or we're pushing a lawnmower around the yard or having a conversation with a family member. I wonder if we miss and there is this bit of famine in our own hearts because we don't see the beauty in the mundane that God has brought about to us all. 
in our lives and bounding forth in every area of our lives. That God is bringing forth his beauty, but we often miss it because we're looking for the grand. We're looking for the magnificent. We're looking for the awesome. And God calls us in very mundane ways. Like David, tending sheep. Nathaniel, sitting under a tree. Peter and John out on the boat fishing. That the Lord has this way, this knack of breaking up the mundane and bounding forth. But we, we don't know how many others were around that day, but likely thousands are there and they're all walking by Christ and never see him. And we do the same thing. Christ trying to speak to us about how it is that we're to navigate this space in the day that he has given us or how to handle the difficult conversation that we're going to have later. And we're in such a rush, we're going about our day just participating in the mundane, missing the Christ that's coming forth and trying to speak to us in the midst of what it is that we have. And the reason why the mundane sometimes uh, shields the beauty of Christ and his coming is because the mundane tends to whisper, not shout. Remember Elijah when he was waiting for the word of the Lord. There was the fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then there was this storm that rises up and the Lord isn't in the storm. But when he quiets himself in the mundane of just being present to the moment, he hears the whisper of the Lord. Simeon has this knack. He comes and goes to the temple all of the time. And this day, it says he's moved by the Holy Spirit, that there's going to be something different about this day. And I believe that that's a, a revelation from the Lord that he is trying to speak to us. There's something about this day and about this service and about this space that you find yourself in where he's trying to weave in his grace and his wonder back into your life in a way that you have missed because you are just participating in the mundane unaware that the presence of God is near and around you and working and moving in your life even as I share these words. That's what Simeon is showing us. Thousands are walking by Christ and never see him, but he does. And most miss the coming, but there's only two, him and Anna, that recognize that there's something different about this baby. There's been lots of babies dedicated today, but not quite like this one. I remember some years ago, the Lord was speaking to me in a very mundane routine. I was carrying my daughter to church and she was two years old at the time and we were still in Florida. We we're pastoring at a church we loved and we were really enjoying great time of ministry. But there was this unsettled feeling in my heart and I didn't really know why. The Lord was leading me to someplace and to somewhere and I'm listening to a friend of mine that was speaking on a CD that I, I was listening to at the time. I know you guys, the CDs are these little round things that play music. Oh, these days we don't use that kind of stuff anymore. Um, and so I'm listening to this message and I go, you know what, I know this guy and maybe the next step for me, maybe this uneasiness for me is that I'm supposed to go and travel and share the word of God as an evangelist. And I said, something I always wanted to do and I was just feeling this desire within me. I says, and I'm thinking, I'm not saying anything, I'm thinking. 
Maybe I'll just give this guy a call when I get to the office a little bit later and just see how things are going. I'm thinking this. My two-year-old daughter from the back seat, very mundane experience. She's back there singing princess songs. She stops mid-sentence and says to me, Daddy, God has something different for you. I was like, what? She said, I said God has something different here for you. And then just goes right back and picks up the song as if she didn't even miss a beat. Just right back where she had left it off. Picks it up and I'm going, whoa. The Lord was shouting to me through the whisper of a child that was two years old that had never said a word like it before or since. The Lord was trying to get my attention in the mundane experience of traveling to and from church, which I did every day and did for years, but the Lord had something to tell me. And I've realized as I've been pastoring now for a long time and just living with the Lord, is that experience is supposed to be daily. That God has grace and a word for me for every single day. And in the midst of my mundane world, that he's trying to share his love, his hope, and his new life with me. But I get tripped up because it always feels mundane. The second thing that we see from Simeon's life, he's just got this understanding that he walks with that Delay is not the same thing as denial. For 400 years, the word of the Lord had been delayed. So delay. God says the son of righteousness will rise. There's this famine. But Simeon doesn't see the famine that he's going through or his current situation as the final word of God for his life forever. He knows and is expecting God to fulfill his word because God is faithful. And he knows because God is faithful, he will perform his work for him and for the world and for the people of Israel. That God's promise is good. But this sometimes is a little bit difficult for us because of our tendency to try to figure it out. When we don't see the light string working, we start trying to move ahead without the light. But this isn't what Simeon does. He does what we should all do. And some real practical advice. If you're struggling to know what God's purpose is for you right now, go back to the last thing he told you to do. The last thing he told you to do is often where we miss the future of what God is calling us to because we think that faithful looks like what we should be doing, not what God had asked us to do before. And we can't get to the next step. You can't fix the Christmas lights until you start back to where the last light is shining. You start testing the lights after that. But that's the reference point for what the future is supposed to look like. And when we lose sight of what the light is supposed to look like, we start looking for light in places that light will never be found. Simeon has this ability to hold on to what it is that God says without relenting. And what is beautiful about Simeon's story is that he is relentlessly hopeful. He is one that refuses to give up hope in a time of desperate hopelessness. When everyone is feeling the weight and oppression of Rome, when everyone is overwhelmed and believing that God isn't going to come through, that they're going to have to move along as if it's never going to happen for me, Simeon's voice tells us that you have to refuse to give up hope. 
You have to refuse to give up hope that even though it's dark, it won't always be. Even though it's bleak, God's promises are still true. And if we will cling to that hope, we will find that there's victory for us, for our future, and for the great things that God has for us. This is all his promise. This is what Simeon's doing. He says, I've been waiting my whole life for the consolation of Israel, meaning that God would send his Messiah. That's what that phrase means. I know that God is going to send it, and I have this witness. And my spirit, he says, that I won't die until I see it. Let me ask you this. How many other people did God make that promise to? We know for sure Anna, because she's there, but likely those weren't the only people that he spoke to about the coming of the Messiah. But two faithful are sitting in the temple waiting for it while the rest moved on as if it would never happen. That's sometimes where I feel like darkness does its best work in our life is in seasons of delay. Because when the truth of a, a promise is delayed. The heart grows tired and weary and sick and is desperately yearning for something new, but when it doesn't come, it feels futile to believe that it ever will. And so we give up on a promise that God fully intends to keep. Simeon's witness to us says that even though our world is unbalanced and it feels like darkness is winning the day, that the hope of Messiah coming and even setting right our crazy political situation and setting right our crazy household uh, uh, domestic situations, that we can trust in a God that is able to hold it all together and to fulfill what it is that he has promised. This is so integral to the walk of faith, and yet the place where we often are most tripped. Because waiting on God is not something we're good at. We're not good at it. Because it feels like we're not doing anything we're not making progress. Simeon has been waiting, and it's important to note that he's old in age. And so Luke includes his story, and he wants to say, though Israel's been waiting a long time, and Simeon's been waiting a long time, the promise of God is just as sure. But can we recognize it in our times of delay that God will come through and will fulfill his word concerning your life, his promises for you and for your kids. If God has given you a promise, baby, you need to hold on to that promise with all the strength that you've got. If he said he's going to deliver your kids, he'll deliver. If he said he'll provide for your need, he will provide. If he said he's going to bring you in a breakthrough, he will bring it. But you've got to refuse to give up hope even when all seems hopeless it is here that Simeon's testimony is so strong for us hold on to that hope because darkness will never win the day I saw this oh, yeah amen let's give God prayer I saw this recently I was in September I was in Lowe's with my kids and they started setting up the Halloween stuff, and it had only been up for like two weeks. 
And then I saw the first Christmas tree. And it was like the light was just pushing back the darkness, that as soon as the darkness it comes out on the shelves, the light starts to push it away and reminds us that the darkness never actually has the final word. But when the light comes, it exposes this stuff for what it is, toy ghouls and goblins and ghosts that are easily exposed by the light of Christmas that push it aside and make room for all of the people of the world to see the hope of Christ. I couldn't help but be taken. I started to give God praise right inside of Lowe's because it began to preach to me that though the season of my life might seem dark right now, the light is coming and it will push aside all of that darkness and bring forth the hope of his salvation and power to me and for you. This is the hope of Simeon's preaching to us. Just a few words he offers. And he says, now I can die because I've already seen it. My life, everything I've been waiting for and the hope of my life in a baby. He doesn't despise it because it's small. He doesn't despise it because it seems powerless. He doesn't despise it because it's not clothed in the grandeur of the age. But he recognizes in it. And I wonder if sometimes that's our struggle. We despise it because it doesn't look just like we want yet. But an oak tree doesn't look much like an oak when it's still an acorn. And Christ may not have looked much like a Messiah when he was still in the helpless body of a babe. But the power was just as present and the potential just as real when he was a baby as when he was fully grown as the resurrected Lord. That was always in him. And the same is true of you. Though your life may seem very small and its impact diminished compared to where it is that you hope it would be, the potential for who you are is still inside of you. And one word from the Lord, and it will emerge and bound forth and push out all the darkness and declare the glory and the power and the wonder of a Lord that has come to save, to heal, and to make new. The third part of Simeon's sermon for us is that he shows us that when we are trying to find our way through the darkness that we need to learn to follow the light. Follow the light. There was scripture for Simeon and for the Jews that they would recognize that their call was to be a light to the Gentiles, that they were to be the referent point of God's saving act to the world, that Israel's call was this, and they were to be a light to everyone. The problem was is that Israel had mistaken that they themselves were the light, not that they were a reflection of the light, and they started doing their own thing, living in their own way, and they wondered why it was that their light was dimming, thinking that the promise was about them, not about the God that keeps it. Our job in life is not to ask God to come along with us on our daily tasks. Lord, follow me to work. Lord, follow me to the, the, the conversation I've got to have with the principal. Come with me, Lord. You're always with us. No. 
The picture that we have is that they are to follow the light. That's why God sent a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day to guide them. They were always to follow. And he leads me in the path of righteousness, Psalms 23 said. He leads me. So God's intention is not to follow you into work, but you for you to follow him. He's there to follow, follow him to your healing, follow him to your hope, follow him to your new life. That's the direction. And this is what Simeon's doing. He looks back and remembers what it is that God sees. And where does he recognize Jesus in this story? Not in the temple, on the outside, on the temple courts. Their family is bringing him into the temple and going into the, the, the next section where the babies would be dedicated of the temple. And so Simeon sees them and he starts following them into the sanctuary, if you will. And before that baby could even be dedicated before the Lord, he has an interrupting moment and he picks that baby up and he holds it up and he says, I have now seen with my eyes the salvation of Israel. God's intent for your life and for my life is to follow the light that he has placed before us because in following the light, we will get to the promise. It's not by walking through the darkness and trying to figure it out out who thinks that that's the way if you're trying to fix a light section you go to the last place you saw the light and in a similar way we follow the light and then we move forward because that's where the healing comes that's where the deliverance is found that's in the place where the provision is brought in it's their church that we must follow christ and this is simeon's sermon to us I've been waiting my whole life for the consolation of Israel. I've been waiting my whole life, and now I behold it. My life's complete. God's promise was true. And it's always been true. How are you doing? And following the light. How are you doing at seeing the beauty in the Monday? How are you maintaining faith in seasons of delay? Christmas reminds us how it is that we're to navigate this because Christ didn't just come, but he's also coming. Though he came in humility before he will come again in glory. And it's our heart now that needs to follow his light until he comes and also to illuminate a path for others. We, like Simeon, have a sermon to preach about how it is that God has come through for us and we then become light to others. This is the message of Christmas, for the light itself to be carried. I invite the worship team back up. It reminds me of a story. I got my in-laws in town of one Christmas that they were visiting us in Pennsylvania. One of the things that we like to do as a family when everybody gathers together, at this point, we didn't have any kids, and so it was a little easier than it is now when you have to tote around babies and teenagers especially, God help us. And so it's one of those things that we always like to do. And we were visiting this place, it was Glen Anoka, it was beautiful, and all of these ice sculptures because the waterfalls had frozen over, it was a glorious place to see in ice. But the path itself was clear, and we were journeying up the path, and 
We knew exactly where we were going because we could see where we were going. The trail was marked. About three quarters of the way up, though, the family split up in two directions. My wife was carrying our first daughter. She wanted to go back, and so my mother-in-law and her went down. They were smart. But us men, we had to conquer the mountain. So we're like, we're going to go to the top, and we'll meet you down on the other side. We'll probably make it back to the car at the same time. But as we're getting near the top of the mountain, snow started falling, and then more rapid and more rapid. Hidden it from us. We're actually getting a little worried because it's whiteout conditions. You can't see further than about six or seven feet in front of you. You can barely see the person that's there. And we're trying to find our way. And I'm like, guys, I know how to get down. I've climbed this trail more than you. And me being an alpha type of male, I tell them, follow me. I know the way. And so I start to lead them in a circle. And in 15 minutes or 20 minutes, we end up back where we started. Real good. Then alpha male number two starts up. It's my brother-in-law. It's Jamie's older brother. And he says, I know the way. I said, how do you know the way? You've been here like once in your life. He goes, I know. Because I remember we went that way. So we walked his way for 15 minutes. And in 15 minutes, we were back where we started. My father-in-law goes, I'm the man of wisdom. I know how to get down. I can help you guys get down this mountain. And so he's, he's trying to direct our steps. He'd made some shoes out of a box that he found, some snowshoes out of a cardboard box. He MacGyvered that thing, man. He was walking around, and he knew the way. 15 minutes, we were back where we started because the trail was completely covered, and we couldn't see. The light was fading fast, and... My wife's younger brother says, I ain't even going to try. I don't know where I'm at or what I'm doing. And so we were getting a little nervous, thinking that we might have to spend the night exposed to the elements. We weren't prepared. But as the darkness began to descend more and more across the mountain, and twilight drifted away into evening, what had been lost to us and what we thought was light became clear to us when it became totally dark. And that is in some distance, there was this one tiny light. It's the ranger station right by the parking lot to where our car was. We couldn't see that light as long as there was some daylight around, but when the darkness was fully upon us, we could see the direction that we needed to walk. There's something about darkness that makes us in tune to our need for the light. And this morning, your darkness is an opportunity for you to see what had been masked before by the light that you thought you were walking in. As we saw that light, we knew where it was that we were walking. And as long as that light was in focus, we were able to traverse down the mountain. Whenever we lost our way, all we had to do was find the light and just keep walking towards it. Before long, we were down in a parking lot, greeted by some women that were not so happy because we had the keys. <laughs> that was a fun ride home. 
follow the light that brought us there. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. Stars are only visible at night. And here in your night, the Lord wants to be more visible to you than you have ever seen or imagined. Do you see it? It is the Lord telling you, this is the way, walk in it. Follow me, I will direct your steps toward where it is that you are called to go. This is Simeon's sermon to us. And Luke records it so that we will believe and so that we'll know how to walk when it's dark for us too. Full of hope, full of trust, full of confidence that God's promises will be fulfilled for our lives. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we feel your presence. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.